when people say what's the one tool that that you would use well i guess it would be chat gpt or strictly speaking chat gpt plus when we get to chat gpt 10 right is that a case of like the alien and star trek movies where you go computer tell me you know and it'll do calculations and every and it is more intelligent than the human race is that where we're heading and and to add to that should we be afraid andrew <laughs> be we, very we've, afraid. All, we've all seen terminator 2 should we be afraid there's nothing wrong with a bit of fear somebody out there working in a marketing agency should they be worried is it are, are the jobs jobs are gonna go i've, I've heard of all are, are, what do you think what's your take on it well i, I I, I kind of agree with Sam Altman of, of, of uh, OpenAI. I mean, it, it, this is his line, which he's been touting for some time, which is that, that AI should be replacing tasks, but not jobs. Welcome to Socially Unacceptable, from f***-ups to fame, the marketing podcast that celebrates the professional mishaps, mistakes and misjudgments while delivering valuable marketing and life lessons in the time it takes you to eat your lunch. So welcome aboard episode four. Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. In today's podcast, we're tackling what is probably one of the most talked about topics in marketing, artificial intelligence, and not just marketing, in business in general. It's all over the media. And to do this, we're lucky enough to be joined by one of our uh, favourite and foremost experts in this area, Mr. Andrew Bruce Smith. Good morning. Good afternoon. Sorry, Andrew. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's okay. We will. We won't talk about the massive technical f- up that we've had at the beginning of the show. The show is about f- ups, but we'll we'll move on. I'll just give a little bit of a brief overview of you. Uh, Andrew is a renowned expert in artificial intelligence and its application in communication, social media, SEO, and analytics. Over the years, he's strategically, which is a hard word to say, integrated AI into digital comms programs for one of the world's largest brands, which I'm sure he'll want to talk about. In 2018, the, U- the CIPR hailed him as one of the greatest PR thinkers. Now, how's that for an accolade, Andrew? Mm, <laughs> I couldn't possibly call it. <laughs> does that give you a, an inferiority complex, Will? It, it does a little bit, yeah, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, currently, Andrew provides training and consultation in AI, integrated social media, analytics, SEO, and digital marketing for the CIPR, the Media Trust, the Incorporated Society of British Advertisers, Understanding Modern Government and the SMI Group. He also uh, co-wrote the CIPR's Guide to Ethics in AI, which I have written. Written? Read. Which I have read. Well, I did that. Uh, which I've read. I did not write it. <laughs> Cup number two. Oh, dear. Well, that is certainly an impressive biography. I need to start working on my own, I think, actually. Um, coincidentally, Andrew and I actually spoke at the same conference a few weeks ago in London talking about social media marketing and AI in higher education. So I'm quite keen to kind of dig into some of the themes we discussed there too. So welcome to the show, Andrew. Have we missed anything there with your rather extensive uh, biography? No, that's fine. That's that's enough about me. That's enough about me. It's not actually. I'm quite interested to hear a bit about you, Andrew, because we've known each other for quite a while. You've done quite, I've been, we've, we've had you at a couple of training days and I've attended quite a few. We've attended similar things. We both spoke at the CIPR's um, event years ago, because I believe you were a co-author of Share This Too, like I was. You wrote the bit on analytics. Is that right? That's right. But I, I had two chapters, Greedy, greedy Me, uh, uh, one, one on analytics and, and one about network analysis. That was 10 years ago about the, yeah. the the power of networks and kind of using kind of AI and data and all that good stuff. So I've been boring on about it for a very long time. <laughs> so just tell, just walk me through how you, because st- you were a journalist when you started, weren't you? Uh, it is true. Uh, I, I I can't quite believe it myself, but my, my career began in 1985. That's at least 38 years ago. OMG! Um, yes, I did. I started as a journalist writing for a, for a very very auspicious trade magazine, the uh, the retail news agent, tobacconist, and confectioner, uh, or Sweetie and Fag Weekly, as as it was known. Uh, so that's then my humble beginnings as an editorial assistant on said said title. Absolutely. Um, and let's be honest, when I started my career as a journalist, the, the, the acronym PR, I thought, stood for proportional representation. I had absolutely no idea that this whole industry existed, allegedly, <laughs> to, to make my life as a journalist that much easier. Um, my, my most useful piece of technology, I have to admit, back in the mid-80s, was a metal spike that you put all the press releases on that you thought were rubbish. So every morning you get like 200 press releases in the post, 
<laughs> and then I get 198 of them and plonk them on the spike because they weren't very good. They were yeah. probably been from us, to be fair. Um, no, not back in the I day. But I, yeah, not, not in the mid eighties. I don't think so. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't around then. That's <laughs> exactly mid eighties. Is that how long back it goes? You do, mate. You, you, you look like a, a, a with you know. You've got the best beard in public relations. I'd say. Well, it, it's it's got grey in it, and you won't you won't. Well, I got my OAP bus pass a few weeks ago because I turned sixty. So there you go. <laughs> Mate, you don't you don't look sixty. Trust me. You got the check. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I'll <laughs> <laughs> so from journalist to AI, then. So talk to us about that. Okay. So if I've been in thirty eight years of of journalism, PR, whatever, um, I like to say that I've had an interest in AI for for forty two years because uh, I started university in nineteen eighty one studying. English literature and philosophy. I was your classic arts graduate, but I had a mate uh, who was doing computer science, and he he gave me this book. It's called Gödel, Escher, Bach. Uh, it was written in 1979 by a guy called Douglas Hochstader. It's still today regarded as the Bible of artificial intelligence. Uh, it won a Pulitzer Prize, um, and I have to confess, I read it and, and it blew my mind back then. Um, and I've had a, that lifelong interest in AI ever since. And in fact, when I moved into working in, in PR, late 1980s, I was working for a, for a tech PR firm. One of the clients um, was a, a software company called Ball and International, uh, famous at the time. And they had a, a, a programming tool called Prolog, which was one of the very, very, very early AI programming tools. And I thought, this is brilliant. I'm going to start creating AIs in the late 80s. Of course, I didn't. A, because I can't program for Toffee. And B, of course, it wasn't fit for purpose. So, I mean, AI is a term, I think, originally got coined in the late 50s. John McCarthy's a famous conference where that was, it was bandied around then. And every decade since, there's always been a kind of a, a peak and hype of interest in AI, and it all fell away. So this term, you yeah. know, AI winter, gets, uh, gets, gets used quite a lot, the idea that it's going gonna, it's gonna to do stuff, and then, it, then, of course, it never did. Of course, this time, it kind of is, is, uh, it, it is different. But, yes, I've always had that interest in, in AI specifically, and also just technology generally, and specifically technology in its application to, uh, to PR and comms. I bored people rigid for the best part of 30 years because I was allegedly the second person in Britain to send a press release by email. That was 33 years ago. <laughs> what an accolade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 33 like, yeah. years ago. So, yeah, 1990. And there were about five journalists who had email addresses, one yeah. of whom was the, the late, great Jack Schofield, who was the tech editor at The Guardian for, for a very, very long time. Yeah, and, remember and, that. And, and Jack, completely unprompted. So, of course, people say, well, you were second. Well, who was first? And it's, uh, who was it? Frank, Frank Amani, good good, uh, good chum of mine. Now, um, he was the PR manager for Apple UK in 1990. So he beat me by about 10 days. So he, he sent the first one, and I sent the second one to Jack Schofield and three or four other tech journalists who had email addresses at the time. And then Jack Schofield completely unprompted uh, about a month later wrote this piece saying that frank and i were pioneering this new approach of sending <laughs> press releases electronically and it's like wow, <laughs> wow. yes he he regretted writing that of course years later but uh yeah, yeah. so it was actually jack schofield that tipped me off to this crazy thing called the world wide web in 1994 um and you know it, it took a bit of technical competence to be able to figure out how to actually download the software and lots of other gubbins and wrote a couple of lines of html and thought hmm, there's something in this this is the, the information future. superhighway there you go absolutely those are the days <laughs> so what's what's changed with ai so there's been various some um, ai winters over the years um you've you've kind of had a yeah. continued interest in it why now has it reached tipping point well gosh how long have you got i mean there's, there's I think a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, um, it quite quite simply computing power um, and uh, the application of certain techniques. We, we've all heard the concept of, or we, we've heard the term machine learning, which again is not exactly new, but what hadn't been available until, I guess, the last 10, 15 years was the, the computing power and the data to, to actually do that kind of uh, or or apply that kind of process uh, in uh, in anger um 
when you, you look at sort of the use of AI, for example, for content generation, which we'll get onto this in detail in a minute, but if you go back 10 years, you had tools like Wordsmiths, uh, which, you know, early tool for using AI to help create content. You know, the Associated Press began using that about 10 years ago. They've been using it ever since. They've probably churned out hundreds of thousands, possibly approaching millions of articles using AI. And who's noticed? Probably nobody. <laughs> um, so that that's not new. Um, but it's really a combination of, of the, the compute power and I guess the, the expertise in AI research. Um, just And it's still admittedly a tiny, tiny number of people that really do have that actual kind of uh, genuine uh, AI expertise and competence. Um, but also just the techniques. I mean, <laughs> where you know, Large language models, um, for example, uh, are all using uh, a technique developed by Google, the transformer technology, which their researchers effectively gave away for free in 2018. And OpenAI and everybody else went, oh, thanks very much. We'll have that. <laughs> and then, the T. And that's the T, isn't it? That's the, the T of GPT, yeah, Generalized Preform Transformer. Um, it's about 200 lines of code. I mean, it's 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 crazy to think that, that a relatively tiny amount of computer code has formed the basis for this quite you know, revolutionary approach to, to, to language models and, and content generation, uh, et cetera. Um, so to answer that question, it's a combination of factors. So it's not as though... It's fallen out of the sky last November, though I think to, 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 to most people on the planet, it kind of feels like yeah. that, but suddenly it's here. Yeah. This has been a long time coming. Um, and again, developments like uh, the, tran- the Transformer approach in 2018, that's clearly had a big effect. Because again, who would have thought that, that um, you know, treating language as a statistical and probabilistic distribution problem was the way forward? Whereas decades before, you were trying to, how do we build machines that basically think like us? We were trying to get a mirror the human brain. Uh, and, you know, progress was very, very, very slow. And then suddenly you go, well, let's just treat it like this. And it's like, oh, well, you know, who knew? Who knew that that can be an unbelievably effective way of, of um, uh, getting a machine to basically generate, in this case, uh, you know, text and language that that we kind of find quite useful. But I suppose, right, so Will and I have been talking about this. I've read various things on AI, massively into it. The thing about it is you, you, you apparently say that you don't think AI is that intelligent yet. Whereas I would disagree with that slightly from what from what I have heard. So AI, I get your point because AI mm. is generative. The generative AI side of it yeah. um, guesses the words based on trillions and trillions of documents and letters and and things online that it's read up to September twenty twenty one, I believe, and then it predicts what the next word should be um, in a using its neural networks to predict what the what the next word should should go in front of the next word, and and it produces amazing content, the generative stuff, which is the thing that's made it look really, really clever. But really, it's like gambling or guessing. It's guessing its way through some content once you've given it a prompt. If you want to, if you be pedantic, what it does is it takes it takes the, the, the words, the words and letters, paragraphs that you input in, into it, and breaks them down to so-called tokens, a bit of jargon that people are going to be familiar with. So, the, and you know, OpenAI has a little free tool that says put the text in and we'll show you the tokens we get we, we create. So that could be a single word, it could be a single letter, it could be a part of a word. All those tokens, those parts of words or whatever, get converted into numbers. So underlying it all, it's simply analysing numbers and statistical relationships between integers, between numbers. And then those get output reconverted back into the symbols that we, we then read and then we uh, interpret it. Um, I kind of hear what you're saying. I mean, to, I mean, I made reference to the book Gerd Lescher-Bach, Douglas Hofstadter, and I've every now and again he he sort of pops up because people interview him saying, "You know, you're the you're the sort of the grandfather, if you will, of, of AI. What do you think?" And consistently for the last forty odd years, he said, "Well, you know, this idea of AI becoming sentient is it's not, never going to happen in my lifetime." And then, rather alarmingly, I think it was last week he was interviewed by the New York Times, and he's gone, "Oh." <laughs> yeah i'm not quite so sure anymore now he's not saying it's it's going to get sentient tomorrow or next year but he and clearly others like jeff hinton from google and sundry other people are clearly revising their opinion about how quickly that 
may get to us. Now, I'm not saying, as I say, it's going to be in two or three years' time, but certainly their view was, you know, it's not going to happen in hundreds of years. And now it's kind of like, well, you know what? Maybe it's possible. It's not as unlikely as they thought it was, um, uh, even a few years ago. So five or six developers have left the AI department of Google and have been doing the the tours because they're worried that it's not being done ethically and correct. And I've, I've listened to some of the podcasts and interviews and read some of the articles that they've written about, and they're saying that if you think that chat three, chat GPT 3.5 was good, chat GPT four, I just have to keep saying that, um, was te- is 10 times more intelligent than 3.5. And in, and already it is as intelligent as Albert Einstein, that is in the space of six months. So where is it going to be in the space of three years? That's yeah. the bit that is, I think, people, where you start to go, hang on a minute. And that's why people have started walking from Google saying, this isn't being done for ethical purposes. This is being created for for monetary benefit, because if we don't do it, and, and to add to that, Facebook this week, Meta, sorry, Meta, let's use the, uh, <laughs> um, has launched its version now has, as well, hasn't it? Well, there's a, there's a whole bunch of things to say about that. I mean, first of all, um, I, I, I agree. It's, it is disturbing that literally every single one of the big tech firms uh, since the, the turn of the year have either completely removed or at least da- drastically downgraded their internal AI ethics teams. You know, Microsoft had about a team of 50 people. It's now down to like two people and a dog. Um Personally, Gosh. I don't think that's a very, good, a very good signal to the world that says, do you know what, no. you know, we've, we've gone back to this idea of ask for forgiveness, not not permission. You know, arguably Google have acted very responsibly to date because, in a way, they've they've led the way in, in AI for 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 a very very long time. You know, in principle, they themselves could have released a, a Chat GPT type product a couple of years ago. They chose not to because they said, look, this is powerful stuff. You know, we want to be responsible about this and we want to make sure we've got the guardrails and rails in place. OpenAI, um, you released ChatGPT, and as I understand it, actually virtually everyone at OpenAI didn't really want to put it out there, not because they thought, oh, it's going to it's gonna be sentient. They, did, they just didn't think it was any good. But allegedly, Sam uh, Altman, <laughs> CEO, overrode them and said, nah, stick yeah. it out there. So they had no idea about how the world will respond to the release of chat gpt into the world but clearly yeah. it's taken off like wildfire google it would seem sitting there going crap <laughs> yeah um all right quick, well, quick get barred let's, out get barred out let's get the ethics guys in and uh, <laughs> let's tell them that their, their services are no longer required because well when push comes to shove you know it, it's a race it's now effectively become a race um, it, it, and it, it's an arms race it's an ai arms race isn't it Correct. Yes, that's how it so, feels from the outside. Okay, my question for you then, Andrew. First one. So, for marketing people, uh, comms people, marketing people using this, which is better? Because I've got questions for you from both ChatGPT <laughs> and Bard, and you can decide which is the better interviewer of the two. If you had to go on a date with which one, which ones, which ones more, which ones more intelligent? Sorry, I don't know if that's come out right. Which ones were more intelligent? Would you say and more well, useful to p- marketing people? Okay, so just just to make things complicated, of course, patently, it depends on what kind of date you're looking for. You know, I'm a consultant, so it, it depends. Um, why restricts <laughs> it to uh, to just GPT versus Bard? Um, why why mm-hmm. not throw Claude into the mix? You know, Claude two came out uh, um, uh, last week, and for the first time, Claude two is freely available to anyone who wants to to try it out. Um, if it's just between GPT and Bard, then I'd, I have to say on, on, on most kind of criteria, then GPT does seem to be superior to Bard. But but Bard's updated two weeks ago, isn't it? Well, it's like the last couple of weeks, whereas GPT's out of date. Yeah, they're all being refined. I mean, well, there are a couple of things. If you, you take ChatGPT+, which has all the various plugins... You know, the release of the Code Interpreter plugin, uh, well, rather it was announced in March, but now everyone who's paying the 20 bucks a month can get the Code Interpreter. I mean, that I, that I do think is genuinely kind of mind-blowing. Um, you know, you give it a spreadsheet of data. You don't even have to tell it what it is. It works it out, and then it analyzes it for you. 
it's like having a a, a, a pretty decent data analyst on tap twenty four seven. I mean, just just some sort of simple things that that, that, that I've experimented with. I said, well, look, there there you go. There's a data set, and it analyzes it. And I said, is there anything in that data set that you think might interest a journalist? And it says, sure, here you go. Here's some some suggestions, and you kind of just keep having that conversation with it, and eventually you get to the point where you go, well, can you just draft a press release based upon the insights that you've gained from that data? That took about four minutes. So so on that, Andrew, actually, I'm, I'm keen to take a bit of a step back. As marketers, then, should we be interested? Should we care about AI? You know, there's an awful lot of talk about it, but I'm also aware as marketers, we exist in a bit of a bubble. So should we be using it? And if so, how should we be using it? Well, I think the short answer is yes, uh, in, in my humble opinion. Um, <laughs> I think uh, there, was a, there was a survey done early in the year. I think it was a PRCA survey, global survey, and they interviewed you know, a few hundred senior PR people. And I couldn't believe the result, which said that allegedly one in four senior PR leaders said that they would never use AI. Never. I'm, I'm thinking, well, are you, are you close to retirement? Are you, <laughs> who do you work for so we can, we can avoid? So I think, I think having nothing to do with it is not an option. Patently, you, you, you need to do something. That, of course, and that, that is the, the thing that, that's, that's vexing everybody. Well, you know, where do you start? Uh, where yeah. what where is it appropriate to utilize uh, AI uh, just because I can do something you know should I do it you know what about the you know transparency with with, with clients we tell clients using AI well you probably should is that enough do you need to tell them the tools you're using do you need to tell them exactly when 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 you haven't used it um, I mean I've done a lot of many 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 sessions now with 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 agencies since the, the turn of the year around this topic. And the thing that, that, that comes up a lot is this idea of, uh, well, and PR is no different to you know, the legal profession or the accounting profession, you know, charging by the hour. You know, what happens when clients say, well, hang on, why are you charging me for, for four hours of time? Shouldn't you just take 10 minutes now? You know, why aren't you using <laughs> AI to do it? And I'll pay you for 10 minutes. I'm not paying you for four hours. I look, I look forward to that conversation. <laughs> I've, got the, I've got the report from the State of PR Technology, which was from Powerly. And the question was, how confident do you feel in your ability to use AI for PR tasks? And it was like, it says satisfaction score, 47% are confident in using AI for PR tasks. So that, that's, that's for PR. So, but for marketing, it, marketing people in general. So give us, what are you sort of, five key ai tools or do you just use gpt because because we we've got a couple of tools here that we're using in fact you i saw you using a transcript tool for the teams call that we're on now that's ai transcripting that this podcast has its title done by ai uh, it's, yeah, it's everywhere yeah let, let's dig into those applications you know so what are you seeing in your hundreds of conversations with marketers how are people actually applying ai and what tools are they using to do it I think when they are applying it, it's still in a relatively kind of crude way. Uh, that's no disrespect to them because, of course, you have to forget. <laughs> let's not forget, ChatGPT appeared last November. It, we're literally we're talking about about seven or eight months of, of a time period where, where where more has happened in seven months than probably in the last ten years. So it's it's understandable that 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 we're human beings just trying to wrap our heads around the. The speed of development, the, the the raft of of new things and shiny things that are able to kind of play around with, but to kind of break it down, if you stick just with the the kind of the the generative kind of AI aspect of things, of course, create for creating content, totally. There's a whole variety of ways in which you might use it to support the creation of content. Although, I think there is a <laughs> there's people have to guard against, for example, just pushing the button and going, great, that'll do. I'll just take what it gives me. Yeah, rather than look, you know, the human being still has to have the final say so about you know, oversight over about the, the the quality of what it produces. Clearly, from a fact checking standpoint, as that lawyer in the states found to his cost, um, he used GPT for some court filings. Of course, it, whole, it made a whole bunch of stuff up. So now he's been fined, I think, five thousand dollars, and possibly faces disbarment. That, that's just lazy. Um, so, kind of little sympathy around around that one. But again, the temptation, I guess, for People working in PR, comms, and marketing to say let's let's push the button and and just take what it what it what it uh, what it gives us. But um, Andrew, have you have you, yes. have you used Copilot at all? Microsoft's uh, obviously 
own uh, is 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 part of an investment in um, yeah, yeah, yeah. OpenAI. Uh, only only a, only a, a privileged group of companies are, are on the the, the the beta program. I've talked to a couple of who who are, but no no one's yet had the full the full nine yards yet of the whole kind of copilot thing. Although I, I I noticed today that that they've announced the pricing for it. So basically, it's thirty bucks thirty bucks per person per month is the premium. Wow. Do you want to explain yeah. exactly what it is and what it does for our listeners? I think the simplest the simple way to look at it is uh, Microsoft are going to add AI to every single one of their existing products. So Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Teams, you name it, they're all going to mm-hmm. have AI capabilities. But I think e- even even more interestingly, it's the idea, well, they, they say it's going to do this. We'll see whether it does it or it doesn't. But the, they, they produced a promotional video back in, I think it was March. And yeah. if it does half of what that, promo video claims it's going to do it's totally going to change change everything i mean the notion of um having all this stuff kind of interconnected so you mm. get i've i've talked i've just talked about code interpreter with chat gpt well what if that's already in excel you know i don't need to go anywhere it's already there you know what about word having uh, ai capabilities i don't need to go separately somewhere else to do it it's just there it's just uh, it's it's just available to you. Well, clearly for a price which appears to be thirty bucks a month per uh, per per person. Um, I, I noticed their their share price apparently has now hit an all time high because investors think, yep, they've they've hit the gold mine here. Because how many people are going to resist paying the thirty bucks to get access to this very very powerful additional capability? It's a lot, um, isn't it? Extra thirty bucks each. Well, yeah, I guess. Do the calculation of the balance of an envelope, and you, you start to think about the potentially tens of billions of extra revenue that may come their way as a result. And we'll see. We'll see how that that pans I out. Mean, it may, if, imagine having Copilot in Outlook, right? So you, all of a sudden you've got emails from customers asking you. You know, say you're working in a consumer B two C sector. Somebody sends in a com- complaint. You click Copilot, and Copilot writes a response. Well, I, I have to see one live example of Copilot because interestingly. Um, Microsoft released uh, a tool called Clarity a couple of years ago, which was sort of a kind of uh, a, a, um, a hybrid of, of kind of Google Analytics and, and Hotjar. And you kind of think, why is Microsoft re- releasing an analytics tool, a web analytics tool? Aren't they? They're a bit late to the game, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But I, so I installed it and kind of forgot about it. And then it was about, about a month ago, somebody said, oh, you should, you should have a look, real look at Clarity. I said, why? Because it's already got Copilot in it. They haven't really jumped up and down and told people, but it's there already. I thought, great, I'm going to check wow. this out. So Copilot in Clarity, and this, this, you, you'll get a, a sense of what's coming. So before Copilot, sure, you go in and you know there's a bunch of numbers telling you how many people viewed a page, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, there might be this kind of analysis of, of an individual user. Oh, look, you know, their cursor's moved around the page, and there's the heat map. This is where they kind of linger around. And that's all fine and dandy, but... I mean, imagine you're, 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 you've got like sort of, I don't know, even a hundred different sessions. You know, a human being's not going to sit there wading through individual sessions to work it out. Copilot takes that and basically explains it to you in words that a five-year-old will understand. So it would say, yeah. hey, this user you should pay attention to because from the data, it seems fairly obvious that they're, they're, they're a potential prospect because you could, we'll, we'll tell you which pages they're, they're lingering on and what we can infer from that. You know, can we infer from that that, yeah, they are displaying the behavior of someone that is more likely to be a paying customer than, 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 than somebody else? So that's where the penny dropped. It's that idea of taking data that we were already capturing, but rather than the human being having to sit there and go, right, what is this telling me? the AI kind of figures it out for you. It does that analysis. So when you extend that to everything else, then it starts to get really interesting. I mean, just to go back to kind of the, the use cases of, of AI mm. in, 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 in yeah. PR and comms. Some practical yeah, tips so what, would be good, what, think, I think. Th- th- think about it from the perspective of, let's say you're an agency and you're, you're, you're pitching for a new client. So I mean, how would you normally go about where well, you, 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 you're going to gather information, aren't you? Well, what if... You, you gather all that information and then simply give it to the, the AI and say, hey, AI, you, know, you are a master um, uh, creator of winning pitches for PR business. Given this all this background information we've given you, 
give us your sort of first pass recommendation of what to go back to the client with. And it will come back with a first pass recommendation. And my experience today is it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, the, the gating factor to date um, is, has been the, the, the so-called context window, a little bit of jargon. So the context window is literally the kind of short-term memory of the AI. You know, how much information can I input to the system? How much do I get back? So GPT, when it launched last November, had a context window of about, what, a um, couple of thousand words. So, you know, quite a bit, but but uh, you couldn't put in, you know, 10,000 words of background information because you wouldn't do anything with it. GPT-4, you know, expanded its context window. So we're now up to about, what, 20,000 words or so. But Claude, which I mentioned earlier, Claude 2 has a 100,000 uh, wow. token context window. We're talking, you know, 75,000 words. And it can handle spreadsheets, file formats. So get everything, documents, put it in the hopper and go, right, there you go. I've given you all the background information and I want you to output, you know, a 20,000 word initial recommendation. And it's going to go away and do it. So, okay. So an agency owner out there, are they, are they are an agency employee out there? Somebody out there working in a marketing agency, should they be worried? Is it, are, are the jobs, jobs are going to go? I've, I've heard of all, are, are, what do you think? What's your take on it? Thanks for listening to the show. We pack it full of information and tips and advice to give you something to take away to your desks. But this little ditty is to remind you that we do real-life events as well. We do webinars, don't we, Will? We do. We do them quarterly themed. We do about 12 to 15 a year. Correct. They're aimed at senior marketers. They're very value-orientated, aren't they? So they're And they're free! They are free, which is great. They last about an hour. And they're on the, the issues of the day, really, aren't they? We always do a Trends one in January, which is really well subscribed yep. um, later this year for example we're doing one on ai we're doing one on link next generation linkedin use. podcasting super practical very very valuable in terms of the content we give they do sell out though don't they so yeah. we, we advertise those on our website visit prohibitionpr.co.uk and click on the events tab they're free you can sign up come along we'd love to have you on board because you know take your phone out your pocket and and join us on a webinar as well get to meet us that'd be great as i say they do sell out so sign up now <laughs> Well, I, I, I kind of agree with Sam Altman of, of, of uh, OpenAI. I mean, it, it, this is his line, which he's been touting for some time, which is that, that AI should be replacing tasks, but not jobs. And I kind of totally buy into that. Now, it may well mean that, that the nature of, of certain jobs are going to have to change. And this comes up a lot. I mean, particularly, for example, you know, junior employees in, in PR firms sitting there going, well, is that me? I have a job. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be. But quite frankly, if you have a job where every single one of your tasks can be replaced by AI, well, what kind of job have you got in the first place? You know, versus, I would say the smarter agency owners will go, we need to re- reorient the, the nature of, of that role. You know, if we're going to take all yeah. these tasks away from you, we're going we're gonna to utilize your time in a different way. You know, on a, on an, with, a, with an optimistic hat on, I see it as an opportunity to kind of upskill people more quickly in things that 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 uh, you may have in the past i said well you've got to you've got to sort of you know do do your couple of years first doing all this stuff that quite frankly nobody else wants to do but it has to get done um and it's historically been more efficient to get a human being to do it but now will the ai do all that kind of mundane rubbish and you can focus on being more more creative how about teaching people commercial skills from the day they start <laughs> rather than waiting mm. a couple of years until they get so i'm just kind of um speculating here where where should where should we start then we you know we've talked about an awful lot of ai tools we've talked about various applications i know a lot of listeners are going to think right we need to get on this where do we start is there one tool in particular we should check out um well i mean the, the, that's part of the challenge but by some estimates there have been about twenty thousand new tools released but but in reality the vast majority of them they're not really tools they're they're features or they're just kind of clever wrappers around um existing you know apis so it's just it's just putting a nice wrap around access to say um uh, the, the gpt 
uh, 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 API. If when people say, "What's the one tool that that you would use?" Well, I guess it would be ChatGPT, or strictly speaking, ChatGPT Plus, because of the plugins, because that augments the capability of the core ChatGPT tool. There are about 150 plugins now that that do a whole variety of different things. Plus, you've got the code interpreter, etc. So, if you pick one, that might be it. Conversely, because that has it quite pricey, isn't it? It's twenty bucks a month. <laughs> yeah, know, it's fine. It's just one of you. But if you've got a you know, hundred people, well, hundred times twenty, you can do the maths. That that suddenly starts to add up. And of course, it's all very well giving people access to it, but there, there are no rule books. Have any of the AI companies produced any kind of documentation or guidelines as to how to use it? Mm. The short answer is no. I mean, to be fair. OpenAI a few weeks ago did publish their guidelines to, to creating better prompts, and it's quite good. And I'd suggest everyone yeah. should go and have a look at it. But again, it's at a very, very sort of understandably, it's kind of very high level, as opposed to well, who's written the kind of the these are the fifty sort of prompts you should start with in in PR and marketing? Well, that hasn't been done yet. Or if people have tried it, the danger is that that um, that, that uh, it, it may be appropriate in certain contexts, but but not in others. There's no way around it, really. The only way is you learn by doing. It's only by interacting with the tool, the technology, you'll start to figure out yourself um, what what to, what to do. But the question of where where to start, because um, it's quite fundamental. And if you're an agency, then it goes back to kind of rock bottom basics. Um, you know, what are the the kinds of organisation, the clients that we we we're trying to 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 serve, we let's examine our existing portfolio of services. Let's examine all of our different workflows. How do we do things now, currently? How do any of those processes can they uh, be uh, augmented or parts of those processes entirely replaced you know, with AI? Um, it's a uh, it's kind of process process uh, uh, process analysis. But I think for me, the more exciting thing is is the well, that's basically saying, look, here's what we already do. And can we make it sort of cheaper, quicker, you know, et cetera, versus might there not be entirely new ways of doing things that we haven't even thought of yet that AI technology now makes makes possible? And I don't know on that one, but I, I can't I can't believe there aren't going to be kind of brand new ways of approaching things. So the call to action then is basically go off and play around with the free version of ChatGBT 3.5 or pay for the plus version four, which which is more up to date. Now, and you're paying the extra twenty dollars a month to get access to newer data, right? Well, you're you're getting access to, to uh, GPT four because you don't get four in the free version. Also, in the free version, half the time you can't even get in because it'll say, "Sorry, it's overloaded. Come back later." Yeah. So, if you want yeah. some kind of reliability of access, well, I think the twenty personally twenty bucks. That, and it's <laughs> a difference between having a career and not. I think that's a, that's a price worth paying. My question to you then is: Where? Do, so obviously, it's. it's uh, I think we said it was ten times more intelligent. Four is ten times more intelligent than three point five. When we get to Chat GPT ten, right? Is that a case of like the Alien and Star Trek movies where you go, computer, tell me? You know, and it'll do calculations and every, and it is more intelligent than the human race. Is that where we're heading? And and to add to that, should we be afraid, Andrew? <laughs> be we, very we've, afraid. All, we've all seen Terminator Two. Should we be afraid? There's nothing wrong with a bit of fear. I'm definitely not. I'm not complacent. Um, but again, there's there's a whole bunch of things going on here. Um, I mean, in fact, it, 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 there's, there's a, a piece I think to, today in, in the FT about the fact that the 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 AI companies are basically running out of data to train their models on. It's kind of, well, once you've you've scraped the entire internet and sort of uh, pillaged every last existing set of data and you still need more, where are you going to get it from? Well, guess They're going to speak to each other. Correct. You get train the AI, each other. You get the AI to synthesize and create its own data. Um <laughs> Um, it's interesting, um, Demis, Demis Sabis, who's the CEO of Google DeepMind, um, which is, is a Brit, and um, <laughs> uh, he, if, if you hear him, I, I'd never heard him speak before, but he, 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 if you close your eyes, I thought he sounded like Jules Holland. I mean, what, what, what's that got to do with anything? But um, uh, I mean, He's got a piano. He uh, didn't, didn't at the time. 
that what what fascinated me with, with, with well first of all i mean he is number one person now at google he's in charge of all ai so you know deep mind has famously focused on you know, solving kind of alpha go and it's been far more focused on kind of more kind of scientific use of, of ai but they've gone right you're, you're going to run everything and um he was talking about how you know deep mind had been used to to, to solve this problem in, in kind of protein folding I, I, what, what do I know about this? It's obviously very complicated. And it, until and, until now, they were saying, look, it would take a PhD student like sort of five years to kind of figure out one protein. And there's like hundreds of millions of them. You know, at that rate, it's going to take us thousands of years to figure these problems mm. out. Along comes AI, and it's it's done it in a year, a whole lot. <laughs> and there, as, as he pointed out, the original data set they had to work with was that wasn't very big. So they, that was an example where they they used synthesized data to to create the additional data, but then they didn't use all of it. They kind of took what they regarded as kind of the top thirty percent of the synthesized stuff, put that back into the model, and then kind of went on went on from there. I know it seems kind of cr- I know you, people hear the, the word synthesized. So well, is this making stuff up? And it kind of is, but from the perspective of but but does it actually result? in getting uh, kind of the right answer popping out the other end, then it would seem to be that that is a technique that can work in certain circumstances. Presumably, there's quite an impact on search, is there, of, of AI? And I know this is something you spoke about um, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. So well, first of all, I mean, ironically, uh, we've all been affected by AI and search for for nearly nearly a decade. Uh, you know, Google famously introduced Rank Brain into its search algorithm back in 2015. So this is where you know, AI is making decisions about what it shows you on that result page. You do a search, you see the search page, and it's it's an AI that's kind of taking lots of those decisions about mm-hmm. what it's going to show you. And mm-hmm. a couple of years after after that, the engineers who built Rank Brain were quite happily saying. Yeah, we built it, but we've no idea now how it arrives at the decisions it makes. Um, and they didn't seem too bothered about it. They said, well, quite frankly, users aren't upset. It seems to be doing its job. So, yeah, a bit of a black box now, but, uh, you know, crack, 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 crack on. Um, so there's there's that part of it. But the, the more practical impact now of ChatGPT, of course, is that um, now that, that Microsoft um, introduced an AI chat box to Bing, you know, Google have gone. You know, we're going to do that as well. And the the I guess the the the, the challenge there is that, as we've seen with search over the last several years, the rise of so called no click searches. This is the idea that you do a search, and the answer, if you will, to your query is right there on the search result page. So you know, I don't need to click to go anywhere else. So you know, if I'm if I produced an amazing piece of content and it's sitting at position number one, no clicks for you because <laughs> uh, Google. Uh, has has effectively kind of you know, removed that uh, that that traffic from you. When they put that search box, that sorry, that chat AI chat chat box at the top of search, well, you you can see what's going to happen. People will go there first. They'll put in their query. They'll get an answer back. And will it make any reference to where that content came from? Well, all indications are at the moment it won't. And even if it did. How many people actually go, oh, yes, well, I can see it's referenced 10 different underlying sources. I really must check them all out. I don't think so. People go, great, that'll do. I'll take that. Thanks very much. So totally game-changing, potentially, for the for the search industry and online PR industry. For, for, for everybody. I mean, for, yeah, for SEO. If, if, <laughs> if as I say, what, what's the point of being number one in Google if it's still not going to generate any traffic for you. Because, well, I mean, it will, but the amount of traffic that you will get in the future compared to what you would have had in the past by occupying those top slots, well, it's a bit of a, a, a moot point, isn't it? We can see with you know, the, 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 the big media publishers are also saying, well, hang on a minute. Why, why? We're creating this content which you, Google, are you know scraping and indexing, and we, you know, Maybe certain publishers still still didn't didn't like the fact that they were scraping it, but that was the bargain they had to strike because Google was still the biggest driver of traffic to media sites. But what happens now if Google scrapes your content, uses it to feed feed its AI AI model, gives you back an answer on the search result page, and doesn't send you any traffic? 
in return for doing it. <laughs> Snippets. Like, what? Well, hang on a minute. <laughs> what? Why are we bothering? You know, what, yeah. what's mm. why, let me, maybe you know, you you will see publishers now tell Google's crawlers to to where where to go and say no, we're not we're not going to let you. Then again, some some of the 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 big publishers are starting to negotiate deals with. Um, I think OpenAI have um, opened up negotiations to basically pay publishers to allow them to take that content to fuel their AIs. But yeah, search, um, like most things in the modern world, are gonna, it's going to be impacted in some way by by AI. So does this expose various ethical issues for us as marketers then? Um, you know, what, what, where should yes. we, what, what considerations are there uh, when it comes to ethics then? I know uh, you've written extensively about this topic. Yeah. Can I can uh, I actually you, before you go there, I can read yeah, the four yeah. points that I asked I asked um ChatGPT to um syn- to to do a synopsis on it. And here are the key takeaways from the document according to it. So this is the, the document uh, the CIPR's uh, policy on AI uh, AI in PR the guides basically. And it says AI should be used in supplement human judgment, not replace it. Is that accurate? PR professionals should be aware of the potential biases that can be introduced to AI systems. Absolutely. AI should be used... It wasn't biased when it wrote this. AI, AI should be used in a way that upholds the values of the PR profession, such as accuracy, honesty, and transparency. Yep. And then this one, um, which is interesting to me, and this is probably the one that Will was getting at. PR professionals should take a leading role in the ethical development of AI in the PR industry. Okay, that's that's a great aspirational point to put in a document. How the hell could I have any impact? You know, how how can us three collectively have any impact or ethical control over what ChatGPT are doing, Bard are doing, uh, Luma are doing? There's there's that many, like you said uh, right at the beginning of this conversation, it's an AI arms race. How can we have any any sway in it whatsoever? Well, I think I think I think what that was referring to is more about. The, the role of PR professionals advising clients or their own organizations if they're in-house about the reputational implications of the use and deployment of AI by those organizations. So I hear what you're saying, you know, what <laughs> is is Sam Altman, uh, the boss of OpenAI, going to go, God, just as that fantastic podcast with, 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 <laughs> with Chris Norton and Will and Andrew Smith, they're so on the money. Quite right. Hi, yeah. Sam. Thanks I'm for joining us. Great. Yeah, welcome, Sam. Yeah, Come on the yeah, pod. Yeah, we've just we just we plugged him in. Yeah, um, yeah. Fair enough. That's 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 highly improbable. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> the, the, don't the, mince the, your words the, there, Andrew. <laughs> the, 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 the the AI uh, uh, industry, of course, is reliant upon the rest of the world adopting that technology. So, if we're on the, the advising end of our organizations and, and maybe somebody in CE management has got some bright idea to say, great, we can f- get rid of half the workforce and get AI to do it all for us. Whereas the PR will, will, will advise, well, if we do that, here's the likely kind of you know, knock on effect. It, it may seem like a wizard idea in the boardroom, but quite frankly, it will destroy the company. So let's, uh, <laughs> so I'm kind of painting a kind of slightly exaggerated picture here, but, but that's the point. I think there is a there is absolutely a role for PR and comms professionals to to play that advisory role to to organisations about the as I say the, the reputation implications of all this stuff. Now uh, that puts a a, a, a premium on uh, PR professionals themselves having a level of understanding of the technology to allow them to to make those kinds of of um, you know valid, credible, and robust. Uh, recommendations and uh, and advice. So um, yeah, I'm on that on that uh, standpoint. I'm um, I think it would be it'd be wrong for us to kind of throw in the towel and say, well, what difference can we make? Because mm-hmm. I think we can. I mean, individually, mm-hmm. or uh, it might be sort of small and incremental, but collectively, um, yeah. Well, and it's not just a PR sector. I mean, this is something that, you know, without getting too grandiose about it, it, it affects every single person on the planet. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, every... so, yeah. It's the, it's the biggest development since the wheel, is it not? Didn't, who, who Andrew, you, you gave a quote about, um, you gave a quote about some bigwig at Google saying it's the biggest uh, development since fire. Yeah. So, Sundar Pichai, the CEO of, of, of Alphabet, um, obviously parent of Google, yeah, he he uh, he said that uh, yeah a- a- AI is well, it's it's more important 
than, than fire or, or, or the wheel. Yeah, this this is indeed the, the biggest thing that that the humanity's ever ever come up with. And, he, and actually, he he said that a few years ago. I mean, this isn't a sort of recent quote. That's that's something that he he said some some years back. And I know at the time people went, "Oh, really? That seems a bit over the top." Um, and yeah, to be fair, um, I think he's he's probably right. Have you seen the interview with Mo Gordat about AI? Um, and he talks about the fact that the um, he said that the the machines could get so so clever by thirty uh, twenty thirty seven. He's saying this could be so clever that they they. In, a, in an ideal scenario, so we stop scaremongering, right? They've helped us get jobs, they've helped everything. But he said they might just become so intelligent that they just see us as insects and <laughs> just head out into the stars. And like, because they've got no bio bio body, you know, they've got no they've got no physiology. They're just electronic and they, they they're so super intelligent beings. I've watched those videos. And I've watched those. I've read those those pieces by people with with those kinds of views and opinions. But and I always think, well, hang on a minute. That that, that yeah. doesn't that sort of presuppose we're just going to let them get on with it. I mean, <laughs> we're still here at the moment, and we still yeah. still well. We've, I think we've still got plenty of time for us to uh, you know, put in necessary guardrails or or, or uh, decide that. Well, hang on a minute. Maybe GPT twenty is a step too far. You know. So before we start racing off. You know, creating yeah. that sort of super duper version of it, then let's let's maybe put put the brakes on it, and and there is a, a far more kind of involvement and considerate. Because again, this is the things have moved so fast. I mean, governments yeah. are behind the curve. I mean, you take copyright as an example. I mean, copyright's a mess when it comes to generative AI. I mean, according to I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but as I understand, you know, current UK law, if I generate content with you know ChatGPT or Midjourney or whatever. I own the copyright of the creative material. Fantastic. If I'm in America, I don't. <laughs> uh, if I'm in <laughs> Europe, they're, they're focused on well, where was it created? Well, where was it created? Is it is it the server that belongs to to, to OpenAI that could be in America? Or yeah, if I I'm not, but if I was, if I was in Paris tomorrow, I create it on my laptop. Does that mean it's now subject to French copyright law? But the minute I go back to <laughs> London, suddenly it's mine again. Yeah, I mean, it's all over the place. <laughs> the, fascinating, the fascinating bit on that, I saw somebody else talking about that, and they were an artist, and they were saying, you know, I create art, and my, my art's been used to train these machines to make pictures, like Midjourney, the one you were referencing, is, is one example. Okay. But at the end of the day, aren't all artists taking their own impression of all other people all that have ever been anyway? We're all, to, well, you know, we've gone back to yeah, back to well, cave paintings or whatever. It, the copy, they don't own the copyright. If, like you're saying there, if you generate that image, um, but then do you generate well, they, that image in the style of yeah. Salvador Dali, for instance? Correct. Um, and again, that 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 is absolutely argument that the AI companies are taking. They're they're taking the fair use route. They're saying, look, you know, we we we're, we're not copying you, but it's kind of pr- providing, if if you will, the the the, the inspiration to generate this this new stuff. I mean, the U.S. Copyright Office is saying that 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 their current stance appears to be: well, can you copyright pure AI generated content? If I modify it in some way, does that suddenly change the game? But of course, they're they're not telling you, but by how much? You know, if, if I take a mid journey image, and, and I'm in America, and I change a couple of pixels, so like, oh, well, look, I've had some input to that. So suddenly. You know, I get to copyright it because I've just amended a couple of pixels. Yeah, or what? What? How much human input is required to turn it into something that 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 isn't sort of purely AI generated? And yes, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying I've got no sympathy at all with with artists and, and creatives of any kind. I mean, look at look at um, Getty Images. I mean, they're suing everybody, <laughs> um, and they've got a point. You know, all the AI image companies that have, have relentlessly crawled and accessed every image they can find from Getty to put into their model. And they didn't ask for permission to do it. They haven't paid Getty a penny. And they're using it to generate uh, you know, new AI-based content. And in some cases, they are charging people to use those those tools and services. So Getty going the legal route, you've got Shutterstock in exactly the same industry. And they've said, there's no point fighting this. Yeah, they've they've yeah. They're, they're starting to do deals with the AI companies, saying, "Look, we're going to license our content to you and yeah. you just fill your boot and exactly. off you go." Yeah, Adobe. Yeah, Adobe 
um, you know, about a month ago, made that really bold claim, didn't they? They said, look, you know, we've got our own massive bank of copyright material to use from. We'll let you use that to generate uh, content via AI. And they're saying, currently, if you encounter any issues around copyright by doing so, we'll pay your legal fees. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Um, now, whether they'll continue to make that offer, I don't know. But I think that's that's clearly a very confident statement of intent from their perspective that they think we're on pretty solid ground when it comes to this. I, mm-hmm. I could literally talk about this for another three hours, but we're we're, uh, we're almost out of time. So, <laughs> and we, I, we we have got the question. We, we have, have got everyone the request, question and I'll for let, you. I'll let you do it this yeah. week because <laughs> I, I think I messed it up last week, so, didn't I? Yeah. So we've covered AI today, but this show is all about fuck ups in people's careers and what they've learned from them. Um, and so, <laughs> Andrew, give what what's the biggest fuck up you've made in your career, and what did you learn from it? Gosh. This is always my favourite bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, how, there's plenty of them. <laughs> um, I, I guess to, one that springs to mind uh, very, very early in my career when I started out as a journalist. In fact, I I'd, uh, as I, I began working for, for the retail news agent magazine. And uh, so for the first year, as an editorial assistant, they didn't really let me out. And then finally one day they said, right, okay, I'm going to give you your first press conference to go to. Um, and in fact, they did use the phrase, don't fuck it up. Because it was the launch of the Today newspaper. It was 1986. This is a big deal. First national newspaper launch in whatever, 100 years. Um, and there was little me from the retail news agent sitting on a bus going off to Poyle near Heathrow to go to the printing press where Eddie Shaw was going to push the button to kind of launch the presses. I'm sat there with the great and the good of Fleet Street thinking, oh, you know, I was told don't come back unless you get an exclusive interview with Eddie Shaw. And, you know, Here's the camera, you know. <laughs> Go and get some good pictures. It's like I've never taken a proper picture of my life, and it's like, what? So I'm on the bus. We get there, and uh, the great and the good of Fleet Street surround the console where Eddie Shaw is going to push the button to launch the press. I'm stuffed here. You know, I can't get an interview. Um, where can I get a good picture? And I look behind me, and there was this huge gantry. I thought that's a brilliant spot. I'll go up there. Nobody up there. Brilliant. I'm going to get an, an amazing picture of Eddie Shaw pushing the button. So I get up there and he's just about to push the red button and he looks up and he sees me and he says, so I wouldn't stand there if I were you. And the whole of Fleet Street turns around and sees me. I was standing on the printing press. <laughs> I would have become front page news for all the wrong reasons if he pushed the button. <laughs> so there I was. And, and, and the whole of Fleet Street. In full colour as well, I believe. In full colour, absolutely. But the whole of Fleet Street, the whole lot of them just burst out laughing. Uh, and I thought, that's it. My career is finished. <laughs> um, you know, so I trudged down the steps going, I've got to go back. I've failed. I've got no interview. I've got no picture. I've humiliated myself on my first day <laughs> with a whole of bloody Fleet Street. But to his eternal credit, uh, Eddie Shaw uh, sought me out. He said, he said, you're new at this, aren't you? <laughs> I'm like, yes. He said, come here. So he Got to, got to tip my hat to him. He gave me five minutes of his time. I got my interview. I got some shots with him. Um, but that's because he proactively sought me out and obviously felt bloody sorry for me. But yeah, that Brilliant. was a I tell you what, mate. That was a co- you, yeah, yeah, but you, I bet he remembers you as well. He'll remember that, I bet. Which is quite an accolade yeah, yeah. when you've got so many people yeah. in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. See, maybe I've got a taste of PR, you see. It's like, how do you get attention? Well, <laughs> and it could have been yeah, a lot worse, couldn't out. it? Had you tripped it and fallen back into the printing press. Flat Stanley. Should have been a look. Yes. Flat yes. Andrew. Life could have been, yeah. been very different. Brilliant. But there you go. Well, that was, a, that was an excellent um, fuck-up, Andrew. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> it was almost <laughs> as good pleasure. as our technical fuck-up at the beginning. So I think probably let's get you back. We'll probably get you back on the show in about a year, and there'll be yeah. whole new swathes of developments in AI. So let's make it a regular thing. That was absolutely fascinating. I'll send my AI doppelganger next time, won't I? Because I'll, I'll have created a, a clone by then. We'll put you. We'll put all the details of um, how to book. So, do you want to tell us a bit about you've you've got your um, workshops, don't you? Do you want to give, get your plug in for your workshops, and we'll we'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I mean, I run uh, AIPR workshops through both the CIPR and the PRCA. I mean, I do um, you know, direct sort of training and consulting for those that 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 uh, that, that, that want it. So, yeah, um, I'm uh, always available to to help people with the agency side. In-house teams. Um, there's uh, there's clearly a huge 
huge demand in, in this area at the moment. But uh, yeah, if you want to uh, have a chat about what uh, what might be appropriate, sure, bring it on. Great, great. Well, th- thanks for coming on the show, Andrew, that, giving us your time. Um, that's great. R- honestly, fascinating. And I could do, like I say, we could do another hour, hour or two on this because there's so much to talk about in terms of AI. But I think Will's right. I think we should have a reconvene in, in you know, 25 shows time and get you on and talk about and find out how things have changed and how the fact that you've been replaced by an AI and you, you've just got all, this, all that's left is a digital beard. That's right. Well, I, I, yes, as I say, I, I, what a way to go. <laughs> what a way to go. Given what's happened, yeah, given what's happened over the last uh, seven or eight months, I mean, yeah, but my mind boggles at what will happen in the coming seven or eight months. So in a year, yeah, yeah, um, let's let's just do it again and uh, let's see how, how much has changed. So that was absolutely fascinating, wasn't it, Chris? I think um, you, you can't bury your head in the sand any longer, can you, when it comes to AI as a marketer? No, I think, uh, well, Andrew's got some fascinating takes. I mean, uh, AI is fascinating, and there's lots of different opinions on what it's going to do to the world. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing um, is up to you. It is going to take jobs, but it, there's, what I've heard is it's, t- it's going to take jobs. It's not the AI that's going to take the jobs. It's people using AI that are going to remove the tasks, which is what Andrew was saying too. So that, that bit was interesting to me. The other really interesting bit that I took out of that was the copyright discussion. That is an, he said a mess. It's a nightmare, copyright. Copyright in different countries is a nightmare, but the, the fact that people can't agree on what, who owns what and why. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the other um, key uh, outtake that I got from that was um, really there's no playbook for how marketers should use uh, AI at the moment. And it's really just a case of getting involved in the platforms and discovering it yourself, isn't it? Yeah. And, and really finding out ways how it can streamline your operations, how it can support you creatively, how it can support your copywriting. We just need to figure out figure it out ourselves, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I he he. I spoke that in depth. I had I've got twenty questions here, from, and I got through two, I got through two, and I'm not sure we got all the answers. So there's so much to cover with with AI and using AI in marketing. There's 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 tons of tools. I mean, he he recommended that you should use ChatGPT for um, this Bard, and then there's a few a few others. But we, we're using a couple of content marketing ones that basically ride on the success of that and plug into. Uh, so th- there is some really great tools out there but just using the free one if you're not doing anything your staff should be using the free stuff just to test it for ideas to test it on um, create because the contents I, I the content's not brilliant mm. like I'm sh- you'll know well you've seen some of the content the articles are on four they're miles better um, but the, the, an article written by 3.5 feels a bit Mm, I don't know. It's got. It's not got that depth that a real good writer would have. It, it's sort of like the beginnings of a great article. But then that's okay, isn't it? It should augment your writing. You know, as Andrew said, you, you know, you should never treat that as the finished article. It, it's a starting point, which you no then, pun intended, <laughs> which you would then finesse. Yeah, um, I think our listeners will probably be quite interested in in hearing more about some of those practical applications of AI, particularly in yeah. comms and marketing. So. We're actually running a podcast um, in a few months, aren't we, on AI in PR and marketing? Um, no, which is, no, this is a podcast. Sorry, <laughs> we're actually running. We're actually running a webinar in a few months on AI's role in PR and social media, which is actually really going to dig into those practical applications. So, how to use AI to sc- generate scripts? How to u- use AI to generate ideas? How to use it in a copywriting context? So, if you head to prohibitionpr.co.uk and then click our events section, you can actually um, uh, register for that event. So, make sure you don't miss out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, tons to cover, lots to cover, and it's constantly changing. So uh, I think we should renew. We should renew this conversation once every six months, like you said, once every year. But I, I'm at a year to think that it only came out in October. I mean, that is that's just over half a year, and now it's already cleverer than Einstein. It's it's mental. It is mental when you think about that. And uh, just to conclude, um, I think Andrew spoke to me a few weeks ago about a really interesting application of AI, which is actually um, voice cloning. So in theory, you could ask AI to write you a script. You could then turn that into a video and you could actually clone your voice. So in theory, 
next episode of this podcast we could actually do 100% with AI and we don't even need to turn up to the room. It wouldn't be as good at the jokes as me and you though, would it really? Doubtful. Thanks for tuning in to episode four. These uh, episodes are coming out every fortnight on a Tuesday. So the next the next episode, look, check your, check your wherever you get your podcast from every Tuesday. We're also um, sending every, vi- every version of this to our YouTube channel. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel because we love and want to see all your comments and remember to tell us your biggest fuck up because they they do make us laugh send them in please to socially ua at prohibitionpr.co.uk that's socially ua at prohibitionpr.co.uk or send somebody else's in it will do anything for a laugh and we'll see you next week thank you for listening to socially unacceptable please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Prohibition PR. We would love to hear some of your career fuck-ups so we can share them on the show. For more information on the show, search Prohibition PR in your search engine and click on podcasts. Until next time, please keep pushing the boundaries and embracing the socially unacceptable. Are you feeling overwhelmed by the endless cycle of social media updates? Feeling like you're shouting into the abyss without any true engagement or impact? Imagine if your social media efforts could be streamlined, targeted and effective, where each post you make resonates with your core audience and builds your brand effortlessly. Introducing Social360, our comprehensive social media audit and strategy program designed to turn your online presence into a powerful, engaging and rewarding experience. With Social360, you'll learn how to craft impactful content, engage with your audience more authentically and see all real results in your engagement and reach. If you'd like to find out more about whether the Prohibition 360 is the right fit for your social media goals, then I invite you to use the link in the show notes to book a 30-minute strategy call with me. During that call, you and I will work on your social media strategy and objectives, and leaving it, you will have a custom recommendation for your social media strategy in 2024. So just click the link in the podcast, and I'll see you there.